You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. It's 7 p.m. Pacific Time and 10 p.m. Eastern Time, which means it's that time. It's Mission Log Live time. And it's a good thing I'm no longer a cadet or I wouldn't be able to wear my Hawaiian shirts for the dinner party tonight. So welcome to Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau. Hi, and I'm Charlene Schmidt. I'm your guest host for today. And Norm, I got that memo about the Hawaiian shirt, the, the more updressed thing for the show. Uh, but I don't know. It sounded a little sus. I wasn't buying it. And so instead, I went the more casual route. And it's still relevant, though, because what I'm wearing is Mission Log relevant. This is Mission Log merch. Hey, look at that. And if you, uh, if you don't have that, you should have that, right? You I should have you should. that. So yeah. buy that in the store. <laughs> <laughs> so what's happening tonight, Char? As you can tell, people, so I uh, just want to let you know that uh, Heather is not here tonight. Uh, she is off on her own mission and assignment. So we have Char coming in here uh, at... Uh, at the behest of command, Starfleet command or mission law command. And uh, she is our, uh, she's our cadet square bingo for tonight. So if you have guest hosts on your bingo card, circle gets a square, uh, you get, what do we have for her, Don? Well, we have the rest of the show notes. So Shar, what's happening uh, and how can our listeners get in touch with us? Well, the way that you can get in touch with us is to go on the Zoom link, give us a ring by using one tap from your smartphone, or you can call us 669-900-6833, enter the meeting code and the password that you see in the show notes, and you're in. All righty. And speaking of people who are in, let's talk about the chat because the chat is going off. So at the poll position, we have Tracy, Tracy Tracy Lee Coco. Hello, Tracy. Lieutenant Jay is in here. Mm-hmm. Hello. So I love glad you. To, glad to have you here. John Arminio and Marie. Nice to see you. We have Henry. Matt. We have Chris. We have Spencer. We have one of the Pauls because one Paul? Paul, Paul one reporting for duty. There are three, maybe four that usually show up, whichever designation that they want. They're the Paul Borgs. You know, the Borgs of Paul. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they can fight that out. Uh, Alan, good to see you. Good to have you here. Cosmo, David, wow. um, hope you're doing well, my friend. Uh, Jama or Jama? Jama, because you spelled it out. And I didn't read that far, even though it's only one line literally below your name. Jama, <laughs> nice to have you here. Uh, Steve, Matthew, uh, hey, another Paul. I knew it. Hey, I there am. we go. Now we're, now we're cooking. If anything, they're predictable. They're Paul-dictable as they should say. <laughs> uh, thanks, everyone, for being here. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, we have a really packed show. We are here to talk about Strange New Worlds Episode 2, The Children of the Comet. Uh, but before we do that, though, there are a couple things that I think that all of you would like to know. We're going to go through some of the Mission Log housekeeping here, because this Thursday, May 19th, put this on your calendar, we have an exclusive interview with David C. Fine and Darren Doctorman who shared with us, with John and me, a lot of behind the scenes and special stories and anecdotes regarding the 4K restoration of Star Trek, the motion picture. So you do not want to miss that. It's a fabulous interview. Darren and David were so amazing. They told us so many great things. And also, if you have not yet seen this, and I highly stress that you do, because I'm going to be there as well. Starting uh, Sunday, May 22nd, and on Monday, May 23rd, and then Wednesday, May 25th, Fathom Events is going to be showing the 
big screen version of the 4K motion picture for Star Trek, this director's cut. So check your local listings, go to fathomevents.com and figure out when you're going to go see it because you definitely want to see that. Here's a little spoiler from that interview. The film was restored with the whole premise in mind that it's supposed to be on the big screen. So whatever you saw on Paramount Plus was probably great. Whatever you're going to see on the big screen is going to be greater. So make sure you Excellent. go see it. Yep. What else is coming up for us, Shar? Well, first off, thank you for that reminder, because I definitely want to go. <laughs> got to see it on the big screen. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. But mm-hmm. we've got a whole lot else going on with the Mission Log universe. We have uh, Mission Log The Orville and Mission Log Prodigy available as podcasts and videos. You can go to podcast.roddenberry.com, click on the show of your choice, and there you can find the whole shebang. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Indeed. <laughs> uh, Mission Log coverage of the Orville New Horizons is going to be happening soon with Captain Mike Richards and Jessica Lynn Verdi. So make sure you subscribe if you're not already. And that way you get notified the moment that content hits. And also you and John are doing Mission Log Engage. And that playlist is on YouTube for all the serious and difficult topics that <laughs> you get questions about and that are sent in from the listeners. So make sure you're subscribed to engage as well. That's really good stuff. So, and you can find all of these shows at youtube.com slash Roddenberry slash entertainment. And you can find all of the podcast versions of them at podcasts.roddenberry.com. So that's pretty much what's happening in the mission log universe. So make sure that you check us out. Make sure when you go to YouTube, make sure you like and share and subscribe and make sure that you share it with all the people that haven't seen these new shows yet. This is exclusive content on YouTube for you. Thank you for watching and supporting us. So here we go. Let's get into the recap. Let's do that. Strange New World, Season 1, Episode 2, Children of the Comet. On her way to Captain Pike's dinner party and dressed to anxiety-bursting perfection, Cadet Uhura soon realizes she's been punked as part of Lieutenant Navia's hazing ritual. And judging by the captain's chuckle at Uhura's misfortune, Cadet Bingo is still alive and well in Starfleet. As dinner winds down, Pike and company learn a little bit more about Uhura than just her talent for languages, of which she actively speaks 37. She's unsure about her Starfleet path, a path that several thousands in her position would be willing to take. After the dinner party, Una remarks that when Pike asked Uhura about her future, there was unsettling tone about him. He admits that his future and the cadets he saved are foremost on his mind. Suddenly, Spock summons them both to the bridge. His computer simulation outlines that a comet he's tracking will strike Persephone 3 in two days unless they can change its path. With miniature ion engines powerful enough to do just that, four modified photon torpedoes are fired at the comet and then are surprisingly deflected by a force field. Well, time for plan B, as in beam down to the comet to figure out what happened. Spockla on xenobiology specialist Sam Kirk and Uhura are beamed down to the comet to see what can be done about its shields. On the surface, they discover a giant egg-like shape in the center of the landing area. It's covered with a series of glyphs, and upon approaching it, the egg illuminates and explodes with energy, throwing Kirk across the room and into cardiac arrest. Spock stabilizes him, but Kirk needs an immediate beam out. However, the comet's shields are preventing just that, and it's up to Uhura to break the language barrier and figure out how to lower the force field so they can escape. No pressure. Back on Enterprise, Ortegas believes that adjusting phaser harmonics could shatter the comet's shields. Pike agrees and has Ortegas bring the ship around to line up the shot. Suddenly, Enterprise is rocked by unknown enemy fire. 
hailing frequencies open, the attackers have identified themselves as the shepherds and the sworn guardians of Mahanit, who they tell Pike is not a comet. They demand Enterprise to withdraw or be destroyed, and after a quick tactical scan, Una says that the shepherds have the firepower. They inform Pike that they protect Mahanit and others like it, protecting their destinies that have already been preordained. However, Pike disagrees that any future, including the destruction of a planet and the deaths of billions, is predestination. Back on the comet and pushing through layers of self-doubt, Cadet Uhura makes a significant breakthrough. While humming music to herself, she realizes she's communicating to the comet through music, more specifically, its mathematical pattern of repetition and sound. Through this connection, Uhura asks the comet to lower the force field and the away team is safely beamed to Enterprise. However, the shepherds believe that the away team desecrated their sacred temple on Mahanit and consider that an act of war. While Ortegas executes her very own evasive pattern to avoid the shepherds' pursuit, Pike unveils his plan. He orders Enterprise to power down and play dead, then pleads with the shepherds for assistance in case Enterprise's warp core explodes, which would destroy Mahanit as well. This diversion allows Spock, who is in shuttlecraft Galileo and attached to a tail fragment surface, to fly back into Mahanit's path. Using heat shields to break apart Mahanit and change its trajectory, a large chunk of it breaks free and falls into the atmosphere of Persephone III. The shift in Mahanit's mass changes its orbital approach just enough for it to pass by the planet safely. The crisis is over and the planet is saved. However, the shepherds point out something that both Spock and Una confirm. The ice chunk that fell from Mahanit changed the atmosphere, causing rain to fall on this once desert planet. Was Spock's flight preordained all this time to assist Mahanit in bringing water to the children of this planet? After being debriefed when with questions of predestination creating more questions than answers, Cadet Uhura and Spock share a very special moment where he reminds her that Starfleet would indeed be fortunate to have her. In the privacy of his quarters, Captain Pike, ruminating on the recent events with Mahanit and predestination, asks the computer to open files on very specific names, names of specific children who in the future will be specific Starfleet cadets. The end. Very nice, sir. How was that? Was that specific enough for you? Very specific. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sir. So, Shar, I mean, you haven't been on for a while, but you watch all the time, and you know that after we do the recap, we get into a couple of uh, notes that, um, especially about the episode, notes that are meaningful to us. Uh, looking at what we usually do on Mission Log, and we looking at the morals, meetings, and messages, you know, of the episode. But let's let's kind of like start off with first impressions. You know, how did this episode speak to you? What did you gain out of it? You know, what were some of the lasting impressions that you got? I think I have to go with my gut here and just gush about Uhura for a moment because she is the centerpiece of this show. But I love everything that this episode did with her and for her and this character, generally speaking. This might be an exaggeration, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think we got more Uhura backstory in this hour than we did in the last 55 plus years of the franchise. Like We got such good, rich stuff here. And yeah. It's melding what we do know with the singing, made it central to the story, which I appreciated, but then Mm -hmm. adds all this other stuff. And regarding Uhura specifically, she's young. She has a little bit of imposter syndrome. She's exceptionally gifted, but doesn't really know her place in the world. I think it's very important to be portraying that no matter who you are, no matter exceptionally talented you are or what your talents are, generally speaking, you're not necessarily going to have it all together. 
And this is in great contrast to Pike later on, right, where he feels his world is closing in on him. She's got the whole world wide open, too many options, maybe. So Starfleet is just one of them for her. And so I feel like this story does a great job of giving her a little bit of that journey, solidifying what we already know, that she will have a career in Starfleet. I mean, Celia Rose Gooding, uh, she really just kind of comes into her own. The way that, say, uh, Christina Chong did with La'an, Nooney, and Singh in the pilot episode, Christina really... I mean, sorry, Celia really kind of owned Uhura's space. And, you know, with all great respect, obviously, to Nichelle Nichols as Uhura, Celia's making this role her own. And she's giving us, um, and the writers, you know, everyone who's involved with crafting this character, a, a, a new backstory and uh, putting those qualities of Uhura in context that that make us understand Uhura obviously a little bit more especially with the music and the humming and obviously knowing that oh, yeah. the Uhura that we know from the original series and Nichelle you know very musically based character uh, we know that from you know all of the, the the past you know 56 years of that character you know being on screen uh, one of the things that I know this is really 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 weird it, it literally is like my favorite scene in the episode and it lasts for all of maybe half a second it's when Pike sees Uhura in her dress uniform and he has that <laughs> chuckle. <laughs> Anson as Pike and Pike conveying that speaks volumes in, in literally nanoseconds because he knows that at one point in time, that was him. Absolutely. And now they've all been there, right? Right. Everything's coming back around and it's nice to kind of see almost kind of like this full circle of where Pike started as a cadet where he is now and where uhura is starting and seeing her kind of start to forge her own path i thought that was just absolutely brilliant and a great just character moment for pike um looking at morals and meanings and messages you know before we jump into our callers i think it's safe to say that the episode focuses fairly clearly on the future is what you make of it but yeah, at the same call. time, but at the same time, though, there is kind of like this other message that's tempering that message. And you have to think about this whole aspect of predestination. If there is such a thing as predestination, then how do we believe or how do we go forward with the aspect of the course of action that we're taking now is in any way contrary to the actions that we were planning to take because they've already been predetermined? This gets into a lot of kind of like Doctor Who timey-wimey, you know, uh, temporal paradox yes. you know, um, yes. situations, right? But that's, This is all what is swimming through Pike's head right now, is right. this contemplation. Exactly. Yeah. So it would drive me mad. I think that's something that we're seeing, like, a lot of in Pike per episode. I think that there's this really interesting relationship with the moral of the story that we see is almost the moral journey or the introspective journey that he's taking at the same time. And they're almost, they almost parallel each other in terms of pacing. And then obviously in the, the general understanding resolution of the episode, but Hey, don't take my word for it. Don't take Shar's word for it. We have a lot of colors lined up. Let's see what the colors have to say about it. So up first here, we have Cosmo um, and looking like you're in this wonderful mountainous, arid, delicious region of earth. I hope you're on earth. Sierra Nevadas. Uh, we All right. Went, uh, up at a little glamp ground last weekend. It's a cool little thing they built into the mountains uh, with a 14 inch telescope and you get some dark skies up uh, outside of Bishop, California. And being from LA, we don't really get dark skies ever. So it was a no. nice little four hour drive and getting to overlook those mountains was 
really nice. Hey, did you say glamping? Is that that's camping, but with posh? Right? Yeah, he has a hot tub. <laughs> he has these uh, little tents that look like they're from Mars that are super comfy. And so, yeah, it's glamorous camping. Wow, right. I could do cool. that. Yeah, I'm trying to convince John to have Roddenberry sponsor a little team building thing up there. That'd be a fun excursion. I that love fun. all of that idea. I love it all. <laughs> so when um, you were glamping, did you have a chance to watch this episode before or after you came back? I, I am so into it that I'm watching it when it drops at midnight on Wednesday slash Thursday. So super fan. Nice. I, even yeah. for Picard, which I didn't, I was at least interested and engaged enough that I was doing that for Picard also. Um, mm. Anson Mount as Pike uh, is so darn charming and handsome. I, I haven't had a man crush like this since probably Spike on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I feel that. It, yep. It's insane. I just, yeah, I want to be on the crew. Um, it's all that baby the silver pompadour he is the king of that i hope that hairstyle makes a huge comeback and it's all because of him yeah but to to cosmo's defense james marsh was a spike on buffy had an amazing like pompadour blonde lock so (laughs) i'm just saying right there's a theme that's yep. distinguished. <laughs> um, I, I like the, the casual dinner scene. I mean, we've never really gotten that relationship with a Trek captain and his crew before. Jean-Luc was very formal. Janeway had to keep that barrier because she was off in the Delta Quadrant. We got that a little bit with Cisco and his senior staff, but we've never seen this kind of uh, casual hanging out. And I really like the vibe on the ship. Yeah, I, I, I like that. And I also like uh, a lot of the memes that are going around about how Strange New Worlds is finally nailing casual attire on <laughs> Enterprise this time around, as opposed to, you know, Wesley. the you know, Wesley or Jake or anyone that was wearing, <laughs> you know, um, the 1990s, you know, run of the mill textile like vomit explosion patterns that were right. you know, prevalent no across seats. Star Trek. Exactly. You know, finding those uh, textile uh, fabric suppliers in LA that were getting you like pennies on the acre of fabric, right? right? <laughs> Those kinds. <laughs> but yeah, no, they, I, I like just the casual atmosphere. Yeah. Now, now there's, there have been interesting comments, like saying that, wow, the cap, you know, it's good to be the captain, you know, because you obviously have quarters that dwarf pretty much anyone else's quarters on the ship. We all know that this is comes from a storytelling perspective where he can bring in the crew as family of which they are to him so that he needs that kind of, you know, he needs that space to throw his gatherings so that people can congregate and commune and break bread and, you know, not feel like they're just on duty the entire time and, you know, be part of a community, which probably in the cold vastness of space breaks up that tedium, you know, but um, yeah, it is pretty large quarters. I'm just- <laughs> yeah, and how cozy and welcoming do the, does that thing feel like I, I want an invite to go to the party that this looks like a really good time. Oh yeah. Yeah. I do uh, have one question though. Does that? captain Pike hand wash his dishes all the time or is this just the special China? Cause Ooh, uh, what do you think Cosmo? Uh, there's gotta be some kind of future thing for it. Just drop it and it gets all the food particles off and reclaims them into other matter for his yeah. sake. I hope so. <laughs> Now, there was speculation. Were those ribs that he was making, uh, was that replicated or was that uh, already cooked? I mean, he was basting them, I think. You know, the interesting thing is like there was a lot of chatter on social media about, you know, being in the time before replicators were really fully Mm -hmm. being utilized, you know, by Starfleet. So uh, I'm thinking that, you know, with Captain's prerogative and, of course, you know, being invited to the captain's table, you're probably going to get some pretty good. Yeah. 
uh, <laughs> food, you know, when you're being served at, at you know, during those parties. Uh, but I, I think uh, with the whole dishwashing thing, I think it all just goes down to the captain, I think, really likes to keep his hands on the oars. You know, like, uh, <laughs> yes. like being like riding a horse. I mean, his horse has to get bridled, has to get, you know, cleaned, has to get put away, you know, not covered with snow or, or damp. Uh, yeah, he looks like he's just a very hands-on, hands-approach kind of guy, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I agree. Have- I, I'm not pointing out the hand dishwashing as like a criticism or anything like that, because it very much is in line with his classic style. Oh, no, far from it. I think it's uh, uh, just the opposite. I think it totally goes to like complimenting his personality as a man who just likes doing the basic things. It means a lot to him. It, it's That's part of his character building, I think. It says a lot about that, yeah. Yep. I really appreciate the the sound design so far in the series. Um, it, it made my nerd, inner nerd happy when I heard the phaser noise, when they shot the phaser and the torpedo noise, very mm-hmm. classic. Um, and just, and the visual aesthetics too. Uh, I, I love the way the bridge looks. They did a great modern update of it uh, while still remaining true. And just, I, I couldn't be more pleased with all the visual and sound design so far. I mean, I'm still like, in awe of having like spindly legged chairs like they did in the 1960s. I mean, that's, I know it sounds weird, but those are the small things that, uh, you know, that stand out to me now I have to be fair and I have to, you know, be a hundred percent, you know, transparent with some of the conversations that I've had about some of the things that I have not liked about the series. And one of the things in me for particular, I was telling Shara this earlier off, you know, offline, I really didn't care for the design of the formal uniform. It just aesthetically just did not work for me. Uh, I, I like, uh, you know, it's Starfleet usually doesn't have uh, juxtaposing uh, dynamics and designs within their very clean lines of their mm-hmm. uniforms and the way that kind of like the jagged peaks with the gold piping on Uhura's uniform just didn't work for me. Conversely though, Spock's defibrillator, that's right, you heard it, I said it, his, def- his defibrillator uh, function totally worked for me. I thought that thing was cool, except for that misspelling, but hey, you know what, whatever. It was uh, cool. It was, it was cool. Bottom line, it was cool. Um, one last thing, uh, Cosmo, before we have to let you go and get on to our next caller. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, just a real strong start. You think back in the history of Trek and how it takes time for actors and the writers to find the groove. You think back to Dr. Bashir or the doctor mm-hmm. from Voyager or Deanna Troy and how you watch them season one. It's rough getting going. It takes them a while. And I just feel like everybody's really hit the ground running writers, actors, and it just feels really natural. And uh, Ortega's was my only question mark in the first episode. Her main characteristic just seemed to be smirking all the time, but she's growing on me. Uh, that was a strong second episode from her. And I liked her flying. That was, imp- that was an impressive scene. And so uh, I, I think it's just a really strong start and um, I'm loving it so far. Yeah, I think that's nice. And uh, hopefully they're, they're carrying on this tradition of Pike's story, obviously being kind of like the consistent through line, but you're going to get these episodes that are focusing on very specific characters and the crew, because that's something that I think a lot of fans have been asking for, you know, throughout the course of the very beginning of Discovery to now. It's like, we want to know our crew because this is our found family, very much like they did on Prodigy, which is to much of Prodigy's credit and success is that we... Once we become emotionally connected to the crew, we become emotionally connected to the series. And when you have that kind of loyalty and that kind of 
uh, that that tie and buy in, you know, to what you're watching, it becomes a far greater experience than just watching it for the sake of I'm a fan of, you know, enter fandom name here. You know, you want to be invested and you want to be able to feel that demanding your attention and making you return week after week because that's what falling in love with the, te- the television series is all about, don't you think? Well said, sir. Thanks. Must be the Kalua. Thanks, Punch guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs> all <laughs> right, Cosmo. Thanks, buddy. Bye. All right. Uh, so next up, we have the king of memes. I'm talking about Alan. What's happening, Hello. Alan? Hello, Alan. Hi, Norm. Hi, Shar. Nice to see you both here tonight. Um, Heather, hope everything's going well for you. Uh, but yeah, this was uh, this was good, good fun episode. Uh, just to piggyback off the last conversation, um, yeah, there is a high tech device uh, that can clean dishes for you. It's called a dishwasher. I have one. It's great. <laughs> yes, yes, I highly agree with this comment. <laughs> I could not they, live without it. When yeah. they work, they're great. And when they go south, they go south badly. Um, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Need those fingers, replaced now. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Check your hoses. Yeah, make sure everything's working right on your dishwasher. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, was thoroughly uh, pleased with with this episode of, of Star Trek. Um, yeah, just good stuff all around. Um, let's see. I was going to talk uh, specifically. I liked. You know, you guys have talked a little bit about Uhura already, um, but I I don't. I assume that there was uh, a significance uh, to specifically making the character who is the cadet who is unsure of her place in star trek or in uh, in starfleet and making that uhura uh given what we know about nichelle and and her uh journey with the franchise i mean that's you know one of the the hallmark stories is that she didn't know if she wanted to stay and it took uh, a very, a very good pep talk to, to keep her on, on board the show. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting and nice to see that mirrored here with the character. I thought that was a lovely little, what I assume is an intentional tribute. I did not make that parallel. Norm, did you make that parallel? Actually, no, this is why Alan, you know, he's, this is why he gets the big bucks. That's why he's dressed to the nines. Did you wear that jacket specifically? Huzzah. For this yes, episode? This, yes. This is my dress casual look. There you okay, go. I dig that. Yeah. I, Very good point. I really like that. Yeah. I mean, and, and the great thing is that uh, when, when you have the respect that, you know, the people that are crafting these shows have for the legacy and the, the lineage of the fandom, you're going to get these hallmark moments because uh, contrary to what many critiques have, uh, you know, have levied against either the writers, the producers, or people that are producing new Star Trek, these people actually do care. You know, you may not think it, you may not agree with what they're doing. You may not agree with the way that they're approaching Star Trek, but they do care that you don't walk into a situation where you know that you're going to put your work out in the public space and say, you know, I just don't care. I'm just going to do it anyway. No one does that. Right. So, you know, people can agree to disagree. But at the same time, though, I do think that, you know, they're going to pick up on a lot of these uh, touch points and respect the franchise. Um, Did we lose Alan Earl? Is Alan still there? 
There he is. I am. I am back. I I apologize. I don't know if it's weather related or if my internet provider really does suck that bad. But um, <laughs> hey, join the yeah. club, pal. So you know, <laughs> and, and I have to host this thing. So yeah, it, Zoom has been a little crazy uh, mm-hmm. in the last couple of days. Um, yeah, so you know what? You know what? I, I think that we live in this day and age where uh, you have sunspots or you have asteroids taking out. You know your your antenna array, you know, you have bad <laughs> subspace, you know, radiation signaling. <laughs> I'm just glad you're here and yeah. we can get at least one or two cohesive words out of you. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it, it locked back in as quickly as it did. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, we were talking about Hura and, and the fact that uh, they, I, I totally agree with you guys about the fact that, you know, these are writers who care. These, these, these are writers who, understand and you know love star trek as much as we do and you know do we always agree with them no but that doesn't make it bad uh it doesn't make it (laughs) bad writing if if something doesn't quite match up with what we assume star trek is or has come before Um, here's a fun fact here's a fun fact for everyone out there we didn't agree with them all the way back then, let alone we're going to agree with them with everything that they right now. It's having free will. It's having the ability to be able to look at something and articulate and intelligently critique a piece yeah. of public work that turns into art, that turns into something that the rest of the public community that are fans of that artwork can ruminate upon, right? Because that's, that was, that's the point of art, right? To be able to <laughs> express an idea and then for the public to be able to interpret said idea and come together through, wait for it communication hey, conversation woo. right hey how about that yeah so. <laughs> conversation whether it's you know us here talking whether it's you know singing to a space uh space building on a uh, space egg on a on a comet you know it's all good <laughs> hey alan um forms. Stay with us for a second, because we're just going to do a little bit of something about Discord here, and I'd oh, like sure. to get and pick your brain about it and uh, see if you can give us a nice plug, since you're on our Discord and Patreon all the time. So I just want to let everyone know that uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, we do a little something for Mission Log called Patreon. And through the subscription service for as little as a dollar a month, you can access what we have there created specially and exclusively for our Patreon subscribers, which is our Discord. And our Discord has so many different channels, so many different topics. Uh, Shar, you've been on Discord with us for a little bit now. Yep, a while, yeah. Where do you go? Like, what drives your attention? Um, and and do you stay just for the Epicurean photos for the food? <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly become a large part of my reason for going on Discord a lot more than I used to. And I, I found myself, as the months have gone by, just being more and more a part of the community because it's got good people. We have good conversations. We have fun. So I'm just drawn in to have that experience more than just random people arguing on Twitter. That's not as much fun (laughs) as as it used to be. So the Mission Log Discord has become a big part of my Trek community. And I want to thank all of you who are on there for making it that way. You're all a lot of fun. I, I love doing our Mission Log After Dark and uh, yeah, Norm, you and John, of course, are, are wonderful, and I love hanging with you. So it's all good. Well, one of the things that uh, John and I felt was very important, you know, to our community, the Mission Log listeners and the Mission Log subscribers for Patreon, is to create this space where 
you know, our fans could come in and talk about a variety of different topics. Alan Youngkin, you're on there all the time. Um, hey. <laughs> you know, what do you do enjoy most? What do you enjoy most about being on Discord and being a Patreon subscriber? Um, well, I love, I, I agree wholeheartedly about the Epicureanism photos. My <laughs> goodness. I try, I, you know, I post the stuff that I throw together in my own kitchen and I, 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 I hope that it, uh, you know, works for, for some people, but man, the stuff that other people post is amazing. Um, just the, the, uh, being able, the, being able to, to connect with people in sort of hopefully a meaningful way is just, uh, a good thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I agree with this as, as a platform for discussion, uh, especially amongst you know the people who uh, choose to gather there, compared to say Twitter, I'm I'm on I'm on Twitter uh, almost because you kind of have to be at, at a certain point, mm. but it's not necessarily fun <laughs> all the time, and it's not, not necessarily <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, and there's there's a lot of just sort of like you know. Uh, just sort of like competing uh, voices like, Hey, let's, let's talk over here. No, let's talk on my stream with, with the discord. It's all in one place. There's no competing for attention. There's no, you know, we're, (laughs) we're all paying to be there. It's not like, you know, we're, we're trying to like, you know, drum up business for ourselves. It's just, it is what it is. It's lovely. And uh, something that we're going to be doing new uh, and every Wednesday night. Now, this is the Wednesday before the new episode of Strange New World comes out or the new episode of the new series, Du Jour. We are going to have on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific time, 10 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to have live chats about the new episode. So this Wednesday, it will be May 18th. We'll be having a live chat, 7 p.m. Pacific time, 10 p.m. Eastern time about and continuing the, the, the topic of talking about Children of the Comet. So if you want to join us, nice. please join us at patreon.com slash mission log. All it takes is a buck a month for a subscription or more if you want to get to some of the tier perks. And yep, that's pretty much it. So on to the rest of the show. So we have a couple more callers lined up. Alan, just want to say, sure. like, have any last things to say about this episode? And hopefully we'll uh, see you on a Wednesday night. Yeah, I well, to be perfectly honest, um, if everything goes well, I'll be throwing a, uh, a campsite full of onkegs against my D and D group on Wednesday. But nice. you know, more power to you guys. All right. Well, you um, know, may your dice ever roll in your favor exactly. or their favor. But yeah, um, yeah, well, yeah, just uh, have fun on Wednesday. Enjoy the conversation. Hope everything keeps rolling, uh, you know, the way that it's supposed to. And yeah, hopefully we uh, will be back here next Monday for another fun discussion of another great episode of Strange New Worlds. Fingers crossed. All right. Perfect, man. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for being yep. here. Appreciate the call. Have a good one. All right, man. You too. All right. So next up, we have John Arminio. Hello, John. Always good to have you here on the show. Welcome back. Hello, John. Hello. Uh, great to meet you. I, I don't think we've chatted before. No, I do not believe we have met. Hi. Hello. Nice to meet you. Um, I sort of have a weird, big meta question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the big 
drawbacks of telling any prequel story is that you know how it's going to end. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know where the plot is moving. So I'm wondering if Pike seeing his own destiny, and especially with the plot of, of this episode, is this the writer's attempt to say, even if we know where the story ends up, like our story as characters, as human beings, as a TV show is still worth telling and experiencing. And so let's tackle that disadvantage head on. Or am I just reading too much into, <laughs> into this? What do you think? Maybe Char? not. No, I, I don't think you might be reading into that too much. I think that might very well be a big part of what they're trying to do. Cause like you said, it is dangerous that we do know the ending, but there's so much more story you can tell in how it, he gets there. Also, we do not know the full circumstances of what goes down that leads to him making that decision entirely. So we may in that moment, when we do get to that moment, I'm assuming we will someday, mm-hmm. when we see it happen, it's all going to click. You know, if they, if they have a plan, and I hope they do, they're going to have a genius way of making it all come full circle. And then in that moment, when it hits, we will all just be like, wow. Okay, look at what they did there. That was cool. And it's still like a big moment. That takes incredible writing to do, but I want to have faith that this crew will do that. I think, you know, one of the things that I'm sure that any writer, uh, when they pitch a story like this, especially a prequel story, that's so close to the original, original source. I'm talking about the original series. They have to have a plan in place so that they know that they're not going to get caught behind the eight ball when it comes to very articulate, very, you know, detail oriented viewers like yourself, John asking this very same question. Mm-hmm. So knowing that they have Pike's destiny well laid out, and we know what happened to Pike through the cage and through the menagerie. We know the ultimate destiny for Pike is to go back to Talos for so that the Talosians can heal him in the, that way that they do. This is why we have general order four, but seeing his journey from now to then, or maybe say from uh, Bahamut to then, or to whenever that, that accident happens, all of the touch points of the characters that he's going to influence along the way, I think is just as important as his own destiny and seeing his story unfold. Him having that conversation with, say, with La'an at the end of Strange New Worlds was important to her. That's going to change the course of her destiny. Someone believing in her who has never believed in her in that way before. It's almost as if that they're looking at it from the reverse of it's a wonderful life. Remove Pike from history and how many lives will it affect? So he has to go through the course of history and we have to watch whose destiny that he's going to change. He's obviously going to change the destiny of those or the five or six cadets that he saves. But what about Uhura? What about Spock? Remember some of the things that are saying that are being said on social media, Spock has such a loyalty to Pike that he risks court martial and ruining his career all for the sake of doing the one thing for his friend that his friend didn't even ask him to do. Where does that loyalty come from? Where does that, that discipline, that fortitude, you know, the, the, and even for a Vulcan, the passion to have that kind of a friendship, how is that forced and why? Hopefully we'll get to that part of the story. Hopefully we'll get to see that because in my opinion, we didn't see that kind of a relationship with him and Kirk. We saw a great relationship, but never once did we ever see Spock risk his commission and his career for Kirk. We saw Kirk do it for Spock. 
And we saw Kirk do it for Spock again in a mock time. You know, he saved myself a dozen times over. Isn't that worth a career? But now we get to see why Spock does it for Pike and the events that lead up to that. I think that's the story worth telling, not necessarily knowing that he's going to end in some way, but seeing what Pike is going to do in the, in the meantime, you know, and how many lives he's going to be able to affect or save. I mean, he saved all of those people on Persephone three, or did he? Right. And this goes into this whole aspect of predestination. What if Pike is basically saying, it doesn't matter what I do because everything I do is going to end up to that final destination for me anyway. So am I doing it because I have a choice or am I doing it because the, because the choices a la Muhammad has been chosen for me? So that's a really interesting dichotomy in terms of the philosophy of what's being said here. Is Pike on rails or is he going to make the choice? But say and, you're and out I, there in chat. <laughs> and I think the show has so far done a really good job of characterizing him. Even small details like he is somebody who washes dishes. Like he's somebody who cherishes the details and the process and the, the tactile experiences of life. Like, yes, the dishes are going to get done. It's the 23rd century, but he wants to be the one to literally and metaphorically get his hands dirty. Uh, And I think that's really interesting and believable. And I I really liked what you said about us seeing why Spock is specifically so fiercely loyal to Pike. And I do want to see that. But I'm also a little wary of the over Easter eggization of the show. Like, I don't need another con. I don't need another song or, or sing. Like, and I, I I love these characters and I think they're all great and they've been well drawn and well acted and well written so far, but like I don't like it giving them a sing last name isn't gonna magically make me more interested in their story. And I agree with you hundred percent. And if it weren't for how well acted and well written Laon's character was in the Strange mm-hmm. New Worlds from the get-go, I yeah. probably would have been, or probably would still watch her character with a lot of uh, anticipation and maybe just kind of like uh, dismissiveness, you know, because like, oh, Noonien Singh, we're just waiting for her character to act a certain way or be written a certain way. But that's what I love about so far in this series, that there's a lot of subversion of expectation where you're looking at a character and this in this development but it changes and it shifts for a very specific purpose. And I really do love in the end of this episode where Uhura said all of the stuff that happened on the comet, I was told about before it happened or I read about it on the egg before it happened. So everything that you did, the shepherds were right. It was predetermined to happen. So how does that, you know, how does that affect decision-making processes of what Spock did uh, in hindsight? Because I'm sure that that, probably throws his logic you know into a tizzy and then pike's like anything that i do isn't going to make any difference because it's already been planned out for me so it'll be interesting to see how they how they suss that out you know and and as with with as much uh with as much interest that the audience has in terms of does this make sense or are we sniffing out you know some type of like subterfuge that the writer's thinking about being too clever right so we'll see what happens i guess there yeah could we talk a little moment about the ending, just how everything resolves? Because mm. it seems to me that it's a very miraculous, everybody gets what they want type of story. It's what Michael Scott from The Office would call win, 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 
where everybody goes away happy, feeling like they did the right thing. It went their way and it's all good. I mean, yeah. with the shepherds, they feel like they protected Mahanit and they, the belief that their actions are preordained. It does seem to have some truth to it, given what Uhura found after the fact. And the crew of the Enterprise, though, successfully executed a solution that followed the constraints of the situation. And that, speaking of which, okay, side note, I feel like this whole strategy of this uh, mission was like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching the comet. You know how kids do that to each other just to annoy each other. That's what it felt like. <laughs> anyway, but then also the civilization on the desert planet, they received the gift of water from Mahanit. So they went to Mahanit gets to go off on its business and do whatever it does. Good, 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 good. Right. Too happy? Yeah, yeah the, the shepherds seemed really dead set on like leave our comet alone. And and for them to so quickly turn around and be like, see, it's all great. Right. It was a real quick turnaround and seemed not to correlate with their characterization like five minutes earlier. And it seemed like they'd be extra sensitive to any sort of interfering with their comet, even if you weren't literally touching it, especially in, in the future with spaceships. We know you don't need to touch an object to affect its trajectory. Right. I mean, they're definitely playing fast and loose with kind of like the, the strict interpretation of uh, Pike being a reasonable man. For me, the, what kind of didn't ring or sit well with me about Pike's character at the very beginning was his dismissiveness of their belief system. Mm. They're like, because oh, he has that moment of, oh my God, are you kidding? Oh my God, sell it. Like it's, a, you know, right. like he. You know, he throws kind of like a, that, that pejorative at him and it's like, okay, he now you just it back. He does. He, he walks he, that he, back and he embraces diplomacy. So even despite whatever he may personally believe, he's reaching out, trying to find common ground and make this work. Whereas Ortegas, I'm, on the other hand, faces the other side of the uh, the shepherds but, <laughs> where she's just, I cannot believe these space monks believe this stuff. But what if Pike... What if Pike had the different attitude at the beginning? Would Ortegas have been as trigger happy, to use a euphemism? Because Pike sets the tone, right? right. Yeah. He sets the tone. And he's like, new, new civilization, new species. Remember that speech that I gave you guys last episode? That's this. That's happening like right now. Zealots. Oh, yeah. Let's pew pew them. I mean, come on. You have to set the tone. You're the captain. Anything that you say starts a chain reaction. So there's where I thought, Maybe he was a little bit too dismissive. I'm glad he got there in the end. But at the same time, though, I, it was interesting to see how the rest of his crew reacted to his initial impression of the shepherd saying that, hey, we're space monks and we have this thing that we know that does this thing. And this is what we believe. Yeah, it Whatever. is an interesting you know? contrast with like a captain like Janeway, who, you know, if you're just following the most recent Mission Log episodes, how she's really gone out of her way to reach out to people who might want to blow her up. Even Whereas, the Kazon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Even them. Again. Yes. So, <laughs> so maybe, my time wasn't enough. Maybe right. it just out of desperate Janeway is in a position of desperation and Pike is sort of feeling his oats um, as the captain of the Enterprise at this point that he's 
thinks sure. he has the ability to call them the Zell to their face. Um, but yeah, it, it seemed like a not very diplomatic moment or diplomatic uh, tone to set when you're trying to save a civilization from extinction. Yeah, Just, maybe one thing know. we need to remember is that this is the 23rd century, not the 24th century. We don't have the Captain Picards in the Federation yet. They're still maybe a little rough and tumble trying to figure these things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seemed fairly polished at the end of S and W. So I'm just saying. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I'm not uh, saying it, you're wrong, but I'm also yeah. just trying to say. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> it. And it has been a while since I've seen the episodes Pike was on Discovery, but he also seemed to have a very nuanced view of religion, especially compared to the other uh, right. characters, or at least faith in general. So it's it seemed like he, if any character on the ship would be able to approach the shepherds with nuance. It seemed like it should have been him. Yeah. See, That's so a very good point. the enterprise being uh, one last thing, John, cause I'm going to get to Paul Harbor sure. before we close out the show. So remember that line It's probably my favorite line. And one of my favorite lines so far in all the star Trek, when two, when elephants fight, the grass suffers, mm-hmm. the enterprise is an elephant. The shepherds were an elephant. The planet was the grass. So I wanted I wanted Pike to be able to look at it from that perspective. Like, yeah. look, you got that. You your stick is big, dude. Shepherd's stick is bigger. So you guys are gonna fight it out. What's gonna happen to the planet? Yeah. Right. So that's what I wanted to get. You know, I'm glad that Pike got there, but it really did remind me of something that he brought to you know the, the you know the aliens, the um, the Kylie. You know, in the last episode, that when superpowers fight, man, everyone else suffers but them. Yeah. And I wanted, and I'm glad they they kind of got back to that at the end. Um, John, thanks so much for calling, man. Appreciate you coming in. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for talking. Thoughts. I appreciate it. Good talking. Of course, you. anytime. Take care. All righty. So we have Paul Harvith. What's up, Paul. man? Hello, hello, hello. Coming in, coming it's in at Paul. the end of the show. Oh man, um, Char, it's uh, great to uh, see you. Other, you know, we see you on Thursday nights, and uh, Patreon is like the best. Oh man, it's just the best. Yes, isn't it is, it? isn't it? It's so much fun. Um, I, I can't. The current state of the world, I can't get too much happy. I needed a happy one. I like the way this ended. I like the way the whole thing went. So, man, just needed the happy, and not too much. I could use some more happy. That's um, fair. <laughs> as far you know, as far as John's point um, about the shepherds um, coming in, bang bang, coming in hot, and then moving to a different position, let's let's understand the subtlety with which the captain posed him, put himself between the comet, right between the. Now in the old days, it would have been a big deal. It's like, oh, let's do this special, you know, pike maneuver to get associated with where they are. They let, he let the pilot do what she does to get her there, to get them there. And it was not the plot in, in like the sixties, that would have been the plot, right? This was just one of many little tiny plots. Um, I, I, and I think the shepherds figured out that, well, if this guy's this smart, uh, or this this crew is this smart. It wasn't just one person. Maybe we better be careful what we're doing here. So, mm-hmm. you know, I it's a great point that he had, and I think they subtly this is these episodes are the kind of things you want to watch a couple times to get all the nuances. I think um, absolutely, yeah. And, and Nurse Chapel is just tearing it up for us. I she's just <laughs> you know amazing. The the quote unquote flirting with Spock. If that was flirting well I, you know it was funny to just watch that whole thing take place because you aren't expecting it from shock right or the laugh 
to laugh was pretty mm-hmm. interesting. That was, um, yeah. So um, I'm really digging this captain's ability to to be in command, make the final decisions, but not be stressed about it. Things just seem to, you know, it's all under there, but he's letting all the opinions out. He's getting it done. Um, man, what a talented leader. And we need, we need these kind of role models in society today, as far as I'm concerned. We need our leaders to be like this. Well, it's, you know, this is not the rough and tumble days. This is a person who, you know, is using, leveraging all his resources and letting his people do what they do best and letting them learn what they do best. Uh, oh, I mean, what a godsend. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's fantastic, but. I mean, there is a, uh, there is anyone who is in a management position or believes that their managers aren't uh, the capable leaders that they should be or that serve the best interest of either the company or the employees or the staff. What's great about watching really good leadership written is that somewhere along the line, the writers or somebody that has that perspective, then you can see that from 10,000 feet, understand the dynamics of strong leadership, where leadership is there to guide, but leadership isn't there to, um, you know, to, to demand certain things of certain people. You have to be able to trust the skill sets and the qualities and the passion of the people that you hopefully have had a, a small part in training or, um, or, or, or crafting in their career. And that's where I think, again, was talking to John about uh, it's not the destination that Pike is going to eventually reach. It's all the people that he's going to influence along the way that's going to make these people better leaders for the future, better leaders for Starfleet. And in turn, they're going to be the root cause of the people that are under their command or under their training. It all pays forward. It all starts with him. So yes, we know that he's going to eventually suffer you know, a fate worse than death in the chair, but all the people that he's going to influence they're going to influence other people and Starfleet and the future of humanity is going to be able to grow and prosper because of the actions of this one man. Right. And I think that that's the, the beauty of telling a Star Trek story, like as intimate as this is that you can trace the lineage of where Starfleet greatness comes from in this particular point in the story. You know, some people believe it's Kirk. Some people believe it's Spock. It's always at the center of the story, which is the captain. So it's nice to be able to find a very clean and very linear pathway of where the story starts and where the story stops and who's going to be affected in between. And I think that that's something that's very refreshing about this particular way of telling the story. It, it's very classic. It's very uncomplicated, but at the same time, though, it doesn't lose any of the nuance of modern storytelling. So I think that's a, a really good way of looking at it, Paul, from, from the point of leadership. Yeah, I just, I was impressed. Uh, Shard, do you have anything in there? Uh, only that Ortegas was Tom Paris before we had a Tom Paris because she is the best darn pilot you could ever have. I'll just throw that in here. Well, you you have the disco pilot too. She's pretty good. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, trying to pretty awesome. A, she <laughs> is. She does donuts in space. So yeah, let's I want to see the, about that. I want to both see the both see them do the Kessel Run. See how long it takes them. Hey. Um, <laughs> so uh, changing just a little bit. The yeah the the ship itself the. the so as a as a person who makes like model spaceships, right? Um, they've taken the Aztecing now to a new level. Oh, I yeah. mean, this thing you to try and replicate this is virtually insane. You need like to you know make all the little squares or whatever they are four sided 
tetrahedron things on, you know, because they're circular, circular and whatever shapes they are. And then you need to have like the changing color paint because they're constantly changing color, right? It's so stunning. But when they took the ship through that comet tail, didn't that feel like a video game? I mean, it was amazing. I'm just like watching this. We're both watching it going, this is unbelievable. And it, particularly if you have 4K and you're watching it, I don't know if it's broadcast in 4K, but it sure did look like it. It's like, wow, it's just so stunning. And what we're used to now, the standards, the bar is so high for all of these current current Star Trek um, you know, programs. It's just, it's just amazing. I'm just glad to be alive to watch it. It's just amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to paint one of those soon, though. <laughs> it's going to be a challenge. <laughs> I don't even know how how modelers are going to get to that. Um, maybe it has to be like a decal sheet or something like that that gets applied. I don't know. But, you know, I think this is the one thing. I'm, I'm glad you touched on that, Paul, because watching the opening credits with, you know, Jeff Russo's theme, uh, the interpretation, you know, of, of the original uh, score, you know, from um, the 60s, you know, it's just and, and watching the ship, watching the ship in the credits. It's almost it's it's breaking a, a very or at least riding a very very serious line between almost being two in the uncanny valley. Like you know that it's not real, you know that it doesn't exist, but it does. Like in every possible <laughs> way, and it's like sometimes you watch it, especially I think if there's like a, a three quarter profile view of it getting lit uh, before it goes into the asteroid field that's like far off in the distance. You're like that that can't be that's not possible right yeah. <laughs> it's too it's like it's it's too gorgeous it's like staring at the sun it reminds me a lot of when voyager goes through kind of like that upshot of the ice flow yep it only like, better exactly yep. in, exactly in today's yeah. rendering skill sets so i got one last yeah. point and then a shout out to um uh, a fellow redhead friend of ours we'll do that first what a joy it is to see dr aaron mcdonald's name as the technical consultant. Um, oh, we in, heck she, yes. She was at Starfest this past weekend in Denver, and she showed her name in the various fonts. And um, just a shout out to Erin and what she's done for herself. She's just an amazing human being and an amazing educator. So if you ever get a chance to see Erin live anywhere at a con, go, go support her. She's fabulous. Oh, I think but, I have an open invitation for dinner and drinks or dinner and, uh, and conversation about Threshold. I want her undivided attention yes. on my thesis. Oh, she'll be <laughs> there. Can I be there just in the distance of fly on the wall? I don't care. I want to hear this. Oh, if yeah. you're there and I'm there and she's there, you're with. That's a promise. Okay, yeah, cool. Sure. Yeah. So the one, the one last part of the episode is why did Uhura have like a subordinate doing the communicating? Is this, it's obviously shifting, right? You have different, different, um, not interns, uh, cadets doing the, you know, the communication with the shepherds, but she was there as somebody else was actually doing the talking. Is she her subordinate or are they parallel? I'm trying to figure that out. See, I think the rotation, right? So like Uhura said at the very beginning of the episode that she was putting together logs on rotation logs on the comet's data. And then, right. you know, she was on rotation for the away team mission. She wasn't picked specifically for the away team mission. It's just that she was on rotation. And then Captain Pike said, you want to talk to aliens, go to where the aliens are. Right. So <laughs> I think that another person that was, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, sure, but I think, and I didn't see her, I didn't see her rank, but I think it's just Uhura like does her cadet credit. And when she's away from that station, an actual officer is in place, I think. It seemed like maybe Uhura was shadowing her a little bit. Maybe. Or something, or just happened to be on the bridge at that time, but she is not the officer on duty necessarily. Okay, yeah, she, that makes sense. Yeah, she was like on the orbital. She was like, you know, she was graveyard shift communications. Yeah. 
something like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll let you two wrap it up. Always great to see uh, Mission Log live. And we'll, Thanks, Paul. Um, we'll see you guys on Thursday. All right. That's right. Right. Wednesday, if you want, remember, don't forget Wednesday is the live conversation on Discord for this episode. That's right. Yeah. If you can't get enough of this, come back for more. Yes, sir. What time is that on Wednesday? It'll be seven. It'll be seven Pacific, 10 Eastern. Ten, oh, it's a late one. Okay. Yep. Ten Party Eastern. time. I'll, I'll do my best. Thank Alrighty. you much. All right. Michelle. Okay. Bye. It's amazing, Char. Sometimes I look at the notes and, and at the very beginning of the show, I'm like, we're, how are we going to get to the end of the show? And now we're at the end of the show. It's timey-wimey, <laughs> crazy. It happens right? so fast. Yeah. Um, we didn't get to all the things we wanted to talk about. If there was one thing that you really wanted to bring up, the one thing that you wanted to talk about to leave the listeners with, to let them kind of ruminate and chew on, what would it be for this episode? I would say that I'm very impressed with the way Strange New Worlds, even though it does have an introduction in disco, has this group of, it seems like, very well-formed and developed characters just going at full speed, telling some good stories. I am appreciating the format where Mm -hmm. it is the more episodic, we have a beginning, middle, end, and we can be satisfied with one little bit, but these characters are going to grow. They're not static. So I'm enjoying that with the balance of humor and silver pompadour. I mean, it's I did not expect to love this show as much as I, I do. How about you, Norm? I mean, I think that's, that's a testament to the series. I think that there is going to be a, a, a high percentage of fans. I can't speak for every single fan. And obviously by, you know, just looking through the reactions of social media, there's going to be a segment of fans that will never be pleased by what is produced by the Star Trek fandom and especially this new series of shows. And that's okay. Yeah. It's not for everybody and it doesn't have to be. These shows are made for the people that need these shows. These shows are made for the people that need the message that these shows are trying to tell. And that right. is in and of itself that uniqueness that you have, that that relationship that you're going to have with the entertainment that's being provided you. And you know what? That's the most important thing. Above all else, you get to watch what you enjoy. You get to watch what you love. And in turn, that inspires you in some way to be a better version of yourself or a better version of yourself for humanity. That's the Star Trek message. And I think that if we can all embrace that, I think we're going to have a great next couple of weeks of conversation about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I really enjoyed the show. Do I have my agreements and disagreements? Of course I do. You know, that's what we're talking about here. But at the end of the day, I find the show inspiring. I find the show entertaining. And I look forward to what we're going to be talking about next week. So thank you for being here, Char. Uh, Always a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun getting behind the mic with you again. Same here, same here. And uh, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Technical production on Mission Log and Mission Log Live by our very own universal translator, Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcasts. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Uh, thanks again uh, to Shar for being here. Heather's going to be back with us next week. And thanks to everyone who joined us here. Thank you, chat. You're amazing. And uh, I'm sorry we just never get enough time for you. Uh, and thanks to everyone who's going to join us later. We look forward to reviewing the next episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds with all of you here on Mission Log Live next week. All right. Thank you, everybody. Take care. This is a Roddenberry podcast.
For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.